Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Today we ask, what's the win-win product of integrating livestock on the land? Well, Grateful Grace will tell you it's great-tasting pastured protein. In today's episode, we're continuing the conversation we started a few weeks ago when we spoke with the Bottens Family Farm Livestock Team to discuss that fifth principle of soil health that promotes that synergistic role between plants, animals, and soil. We explored their journey and what they've done to integrate livestock in a regenerative system. Today, we'll continue the conversation as we talk about the product of good soil health practices. Grateful Grace markets the pastured and grass-fed proteins raised on Botten's family farm. Listen in as Monty talks about what it looks like to market that finished product that includes grass-fed beef, lamb, and pastured chicken, eggs, and coming soon, pastured pork. Well, we're excited to have Brooklyn Moore, the Grateful Grace Customer Care Associate, as part of the conversation today as we explore everything from implementation to lessons learned. So Brooklyn, welcome. Tell us uh, about yourself and what's been going on since you joined the Grateful Grace team. Yes, of course. So I grew up in Bellevue, Iowa, and I was raised in a big family. And interestingly enough, I'm from a conventional farm where we do have grain-fed cow calves and we have feeder pigs. So we do things a little differently there. I found a love for livestock judging, which took me to Blackhawk College in Kewanee, Illinois. And interestingly enough, one of my classes, we actually had to do resumes. And Robin and Monty somehow found my fake resume that I did for this class. (laughs) and Robin reached out to me and she's like hey that was a great resume and I'm like well I hate to tell you but it's fake (laughs) so um, we ended up scheduling an interview anyways and I brought my real resume this time and it went great and I guess that's kind of how I got started working as the customer care associate for Grateful Grace it's been an ever-changing position but I, I kind of like it it's kind of a challenge that's always changing and growing and I think I'm growing as a person through it so that's awesome Awesome. Well, I was happy to see her today because she brought me a nice big old tenderloin for me to cook up. So I'm excited about that. And Monty, tell us the vision for Grateful Grace. About a month ago, I guess, we we talked with the guys at Botten's Family Farm and the livestock team and how they actually move the livestock around, some of the land practices, management practices. But at the end of the day, these calves, uh, the sheep, the, the hogs, the chickens, they're growing and then we need to go somewhere with them, right? How do we do that? Well, Grateful Grace started as a way to connect what we were doing at our farm and regeneratively raising proteins and connect that directly to the consumer. So we knew in order to implement principle five on our farm that we needed to bring livestock back to the land. And that's great, but you know, when we when we do those things, it's there's a higher cost of production associated with it. Generally, there's more labor hours per head and there's more land cost per head. Now there's some tremendous savings in assets as far as facilities and tractors and equipment and those kind of things, but the cost structure is different and the efficiency is different. But we're creating a higher value product. So for us to create a higher value product with a higher cost structure and then turn around and sell it wholesale just to go through the conventional channels, that doesn't work. Plus, we weren't at the scale where we could sell multiple truckloads of grass-fed beef to a grass-fed national brand consolidator. So we were in that dreaded middle ground, uh, which I heard someone say once, we were too big to be small and we were too small to be big. So we, we wanted to be able to capture the value of what we were creating and we wanted to be able to connect directly with families and and really get an idea of rather than just growing something and expecting somebody else to sell it which is what conventional farming's done we wanted to get an idea of what it was like to grow something that people wanted and then figure out how to get it to them in a way that they wanted it be able to tell our story be able to educate them on how farmers are doing great things to 
improve the environment, improve animal welfare. But then once we developed that, we thought this is a way then that other farmers that are friends of ours that we get to work with through Ag Solutions Network, this would be an opportunity for them to partner with us in order to bring livestock back to their land and for us to help them connect directly to the consumer where we can all share in that value that we're creating, that added value that we're creating by selling direct to consumer at a, at a price point that reflects everything that we're creating in that product. So that's what Grateful Graze is really about is uh, to learn how to connect directly with the families and then eventually be able to help other farmers connect directly to families. That's exciting. And I think it's neat that we're kind of pushing through all of these different avenues so that we can see what that framework needs to look like. And when I say we, I mean you. I'm not. Well, we're... <laughs> We're all doing this together. You know, it's it's definitely a team effort because, you know, how do you figure out how to do something you've never done before? You know, there comes a time where you can only listen to so many presentations. You can only watch so much YouTube. You can only read so many books. And after you've done that, you have to flip the switch and you have to do it. And that's when the real learning begins. Because you can't anticipate every problem that you're ever going to encounter by sitting and reading. You, you have to you have to have a base level of understanding. I mean, you can't just know nothing and do something, but you can't be afraid to, to step out there and, and try something. And, and you try it small enough to where if it fails, it's not the end of the world. And you try it big enough that if it works, then you can see it at some relative scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exciting. You've got to take action at some point. And being someone who can sometimes be guilty of analysis paralysis, I can appreciate that. Well, let's get into the kind of some of the nuts and bolts of it. Can we talk a little bit about meat processing? Like, what does that look like? What's a schedule look like? Well, the processing side, um, you know, I'm, I'm still involved in a little bit more than what Brooklyn is. So I'll walk through that a little bit. So it was tough to find processors that, because we're, we're close to Iowa, and really we're close to Wisconsin and, and Missouri, and we wanted to be able to ship across state lines. So we have to get meat that's inspected at a USDA-inspected facility. So that automatically takes about two-thirds of the meat processors off the table. So about of these third that are left, uh, we're not the only one that wants to do this. So they have limited space available, and that has been another good thing about having a little higher herd count because we were a larger we're a larger customer for the smaller processors that we're working with but you know even though these small processors produce you know in a week what you know some of these large processors produce in a minute you know there's a definite difference in that in that size but we've been able to a lot of internet searching and and networking to find processors both for our beef lamb and pork which goes to one processor and then another for our poultry that goes to a different processor. So we found that, got it USDA inspected, and that allows us then to sell online to really anywhere in the United States. I think a lot about, too, the just the relationships then that you've built with these processors, too. So not only are you building consumer relationships, but you're building your, your relationships throughout your process, and that's really key, too, isn't it? Yeah, and we've had processors, and our, our current processors do a wonderful job. I mean, it's real key on the packaging and the labeling and, and allowing us to use our label on theirs and but also we've we've had other processors that we've worked with that we've had some problems and that reflects on us not on the processor so that relationship is is really really key yeah, maintaining that and make sure we do a good job. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can see that too, because I came in only about three months ago. And it's really interesting when you look at the different packaging from our first calves that we sent in versus now. And I think first impression is everything. So with our new processor, I, I'd rather select that um, meat or product because it just looks so much sharper. And the consumer is going to want to buy quality, you know, what looks like the most quality product. So the one that we have right now does an excellent job. Packaging cheapest either you know we realize that's the value they're helping us to maintain that value right and and they're doing an excellent job so 
And I think it's key that as you're looking at these things, Brooklyn, as you mentioned, just making sure that the product that you produce is the highest quality that you can because consumers are looking for that consistent quality and look. And so that's important. And the USDA thing is a good thing to talk about because if you are somewhere where, you know, you may border some other states, then you do need to have that USDA certification. That's Mm -hmm. key. Talk a little bit about some of the other certifications that you have, not just the beef, but all the products. Sure. So we have uh, two different certifications. One is animal welfare approved, which involves not only the raising process and how we do it, but also in their processing facility is required to be certified for that. And they also have a grass-fed stamp for for their organization too. Then we're American Grass-Fed Association certified. So both of those are ways for consumers that don't know us to know that there's a third party uh, inspecting us to make sure that they never get grain, that they never get an, an antibiotic shot, that they never get really a, a barn, you know, just a hundred percent pasture, lifetime pasture, grass fed, no grain and, and those kind of things. I call it, we're certified, we're a certified nothing, you know, so <laughs> yeah. you get, yeah. all they get right. is grass. Yes. So it's, it's pretty simple, but it requires a, well, I don't know how many pages are some of those things, a big thick manual and folder that we have to go through on an annual basis to, to prove that to certification. Prove it. And there's actually farm visits that accompany that certification. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. So it's, it's something that you take very seriously and it's important. And we know that labels can be misleading. So we encourage folks to right. understand labeling and what that means. And we wanted to, as a smaller producer, when we start here, a lot of other small producers saying, oh yeah, I'm grass fed, but yeah, we give them a little corn in the last month to finish them off, to fatten them up. And it's like, no, that's not grass fed, you know? So we wanted to have uh, that third party auditing. And then the other thing we're looking at is a savory institute being certified for them. And they're really an outcomes-based focus to where they're looking at what impact are you having on the land and the environment. So that's to come in the future. That's exciting. I I think to be able to connect all those dots to what that soil health function and practice means on the output side. And that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about this type of management and and practices. You know, when you were talking about it, I don't want to give up your favorite line, but when you talk about those different certifications and animal welfare and those type of things, I'll let you say your favorite line about how, how your livestock get to be raised. Well, Brooklyn, you know it. Our livestock live Great lives. And only have one single bad day. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) There you go. So that's exciting. And uh, being able to know that they're out and grazing and and really enjoying it. And there's some things that we could talk about later, but you guys do some things uh, out in the field so people can actually see that great life that those calves are living or that the hogs and the sheep are running. That's exciting. We'll encourage people. We'll put some links in so they can go check out the Grateful Graze page and see some of the very professionally produced minute by minute uh, videos of (laughs) action in the field, right? Well, let's take a second just to understand like some of the logistics of what it looks like to work with your, with your customers. How do you get the meat to the customer? How does that process work? What do they do? It's just magic, right? Oh, I wish I I could just wave a (laughs) wand. They click a button and it magically (laughs) shows up. (laughs) Yeah, I guess for me where it starts is once Monty brings the meat, or I guess I pick it up from the processor and we take it to the freezer. Recently, we actually just did some inventory, so that's done. But you have to inventory the meat so we can put it on our site and we know how much is there. Where the customer comes in is when they go to our website and they have to create an account and then they make their order. And so we'll get a notification that the order comes in. And from there, we have certain days. Uh, Tuesdays, we get ready for home deliveries on Wednesdays. And I'll bundle up. I'll head into the freezer and I'll have to pull their meat. So it's it's very individualized um, for each customer, I say. And you kind of develop a relationship with them, honestly, just because I, I know some of their names right now. Like I could name you all the orders I did today. It's amazing how you develop that relationship with them. But uh, you pack it. And then, like I said, we do home delivery. Uh, Saturdays, we're at the Freight House Farmers Market in Davenport. We have some other pickup locations, but that, that'd be the logistics in terms of how we actually package their orders and get it to them. 
Excellent. And it's a balmy negative 30 degrees Ooh. in the freezer or... <laughs> it feels colder, believe it or not. <laughs> but if you bundle up, like I said, you, That's I'm, I'm usually pretty good to go. So That's awesome. Well, and that store site, talk a little bit about like some of the descriptions and pictures and stuff. How key is that to customers understanding the products that you have? So Monty and I have been working on and off, especially when we had all of this time off during quarantine, but we were going through different descriptions for the product. A lot of it was just mentioning what you could do to it because some some customers don't know what this cuts for. So, you know, educating like, hey, what, how do you cook it? Just so they know. And sometimes Monty will give other really smart facts, like it's really healthy or it has a lot of, you know, just healthy fats. And I'm like, okay, that's great. <laughs> um, so it's nice to have his input. But in terms of descriptions, we, we kind of just went through it together, but he had a great basis before I came in anyways for it. And it is key to talk about, Monty, maybe you might want to mention, you know, what are the benefits of grass-fed beef? And I keep saying beef, but I mean all the meats that we have. We've got poultry and... Uh... Well, cows are still our favorite. They have the best personality. <laughs> sure. You know, they're around for a couple of years before they go to freezer camp. So you get to know them better. And, <laughs> and that's what we started with. So we, we appreciate them the most. Plus, they have the ability to transport easily. And uh, lots of pounds you can move quickly and you can impact the land and benefit it quick quicker, too, with, with cows. So don't, don't be afraid, Kim, of talking about the cows. <laughs> uh, but... You know, when, one of the things that, um, you know, we were doing when we were, we were getting this all set up is I remember we did a photo shoot at our house of, of all the meat, mm-hmm. you know, and, and come up with a description. And like you're saying, how do you cook it? How do you prepare it? You know, we've forgotten a lot. You know, we don't don't remember grandma cooked some really good food but we never learned how grandma cooked it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of things have, have been forgotten. But, you know, it's... It's amazing the we can make connection with customers through videos, through you know what's going on on the farm, and be able to tell the story from their perspective to understand that soil's more than dirt, and there's you know millions of organisms below that we're benefiting, and so it, it's a lot of fun to be able to tell that story to the consumer. Mm-hmm. I think they appreciate that, and and also just understanding what's available in the food that they're eating and that they're consuming good stuff, and and customers are demanding a different level of quality. And we will point them to some resources that are third party to talk about those differences. Um, You know, a quick overview of them is um, there's a difference in the omega-3-6 ratio in the fat. Uh, That ratio is similar to the fat ratio of salmon. So it's much higher in threes, which are generally uh, agreed to bond to be heart and brain healthy and lower in sixes. But the overall fat percentage, it, you know, you, the other argument is, is when you look at it doesn't, yeah, the ratio is great, but the total content is not enough to really matter a whole lot. But even though that's the one that seems to get the most press, but things that really are interesting is the vitamin A content and the vitamin E content um, in the fat of the beef is amazing. And that's what gives us that dark color to the fat because those vitamins are coming from the grass and they're fat soluble vitamins and they're they're put into the fat and you can see it in if you hold it a grain-fed versus grass-fed steak nets to each other Mm -hmm. you know one will almost have a green color to it and then you kind of whoa hey what's going on there is something wrong with that but no it's just the the vitamin content that's in there i think some of the other things that are interesting that there's some preliminary research on but they haven't dug into a whole lot is just the overall the animal to be able to behave in its God-given instinctual way, okay? So in being in a, in a pen uh, without, you know, on concrete and those kind of things, it's just not how that was designed. So, you know, they're able to move around in a herd. They're able to express their natural uh, characteristics, which lowers overall stress hormone production within them, which not only is, is good for, you know, not having those stress hormone precursors coming through in the meat, but it's also leads to the tenderness, the flavor depth, and all these kind of things that we're able to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with Monty. I raise show livestock, so I have I have show cattle, and I was talking to him one day about how they seem so much calmer when we let them out onto pasture. You know, even for the night, they just really enjoy it, and you can tell it's so natural to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I love the show industry, but there there's something just very natural and like peaceful, and there's not that stress element. 
when they're out on pasture. So it's it's interesting seeing mm-hmm. both sides. Mm-hmm. Well, the, those steers are worried about the next time you're going to walk them into a freezer <laughs> to make, the, make their hair thicker, you know, for show day. That's what they're worried about. No, I'm just joking. But it, it's different. They're able to, and especially when you get a larger herd, number two, they're used to traveling. They're genetically wired to be in a herd. So mm-hmm. we try to keep all of our animal groups together, except for what we can't for breeding purposes, to get that larger mimicking a natural herd effect. Mm. And the the interesting thing is that as they're grazing, they're really selecting because when we talk about having cover crops on the land or what they're grazing, the different mixes, we're not talking about one or two grasses. We're talking about a robust mix of cover crops and things that they're grazing on. Mm-hmm. And they pick and choose what they want. Yeah. And they know what they need. Mm-hmm. And that's what the really fascinating thing is. And I'm sure we're going to get to talk to someone in the future podcast about that, Dr. Fred Provenza. But it's uh, it's pretty amazing. They know what they need to eat at what time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. And we see that like we talked in the mineral thing. They, right. they know what minerals they need to supplement their body. So pretty fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. So yeah, kind of fast forward a little bit now. Some folks might be thinking, well, is this all we were talking about? We're in Illinois and Iowa. But what about shipping? What does that look like? How far can you ship? How does that work? You know, a lot of food has been shipped now with all these boxed prepared meals. What does that look like on a smaller scale for an operation like yours? So we're not quite to the logistics capabilities of Amazon. You know, I, I would I would reckon us a little more to a puddle instead of a mighty river. You know? but, yeah. uh, as long as there. the meat's not in a puddle, I guess that's all good, that's right? True. But um, you know, we can ship nationwide, and we have shipped nationwide in the winter months, uh, just sure. because we don't have you know uh, all of the robustness of the packaging that we need mm-hmm. to ship in the summer. So dry ice is hard for us to get. It's very expensive. It's over an hour from the local dry ice plant. And in order for us to get a contract to have dry ice delivered to us, you have to go through so much per week. Mm -hmm. So our order volume isn't there. Now, as the order volume improves, we'll be able to get dry ice, which will allow us to ship likely uh, year-long to California or New York, those kind of places that are four-year or four-day, not four-year. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like four years, but uh, a four-day uh, ship. The four-day thing. ship. Mm-hmm. Now, our primary target that we really focus on is one-day shipping. So that way, when you're packing your order on Tuesday, it goes out Tuesday afternoons. Uh, families have it on their front porch on Wednesday afternoon, and that's our, our primary target. And anybody can take a look at this on, on your own location. But we have 17 million residents within a one-day UPS ground shipping radius of our farm. So there's 17 million. I think that's enough people to feed. So <laughs> so the, you may not need two, to three, be shipping. Is, yeah. is not as necessary, even though we, we have some great friends at, at those distances. But it's just tough because you have to get to a lot heavier liners. We have to pack a lot more gel packs in them. Yeah, it's it's challenging shipping them long distance. Well, one of the maybe concepts that a lot of folks are looking at is buying local. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be shipping to California. You can service your area and right. someone else is going to service that area. But it's key. And I know that you've taken very seriously your packaging and things like that to try to keep a lower footprint when it comes to those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a valuable thing to talk about too. It is. And uh, local is important. Uh, no, no doubt about that. But I think you also have to look at where is it the most economical or uh, most competitive to raise something, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, it would be great if we had avocados on our farm <laughs> sure. so that we could yeah. get local avocados to people, okay? But they wouldn't make it past winter very well. Right. So there's just local breaks down, that concept breaks down. Now, if you look at where we're at in this tall grass prairie and humid climate, we can finish excellent grass-fed beef here. So the heart of the Corn Belt really is the heart of grass-fed beef country, okay? So corn's a grass, you know, and it grows very well here. So we just decide to skip a step instead of chop it and feed it and hold manure away. We just throw the cattle out on the land, right? So we have, a, we have an advantage there. But I, I really see down the road if we, we have a large enough orders to where we could, you know, send pallets of product from here sure to a distribution center on the west coast that would be one day drive so there you've got the economic benefit of raising it in the best place to have it but then also you have the least environmental impact by sending it consolidated on a truck and uh, because that last day delivery is where the the greatest cost 
is both sure. in economic costs through UPS or FedEx, but also to environmental because we're hauling around small packages long distances. So mm-hmm. just the same concept of sending a barge of grain versus sending a truckload of grain. Sure. The barge will, you know, is equal to maybe 50 semi trucks worth of emissions and it's hauling, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of truckloads. So. I think that's an important thing to talk about because I do want to be able to get avocados in the winter and uh, somebody might want some good grass-fed beef from Illinois out their direction too. So that's that's important. Let's take a second to talk a little bit about your customers. Who is your customer? Who's, who's looking for this product? And I imagine people might be surprised at who all the customers are. So this was interesting. At the very beginning, we thought our customer was going to be the uh, millennial with a family. That's who we thought it would be. We thought it'd be ages uh, 30 to 39 would be our primary customer buying it. And we thought one of the motivations would be for the environment and animal welfare. And of course, you can always think that, but then you can learn that you're wrong. Okay. (laughs) So we found that we've actually got a pretty even distribution. And have you seen this, Brooklyn, where we've got about a third is millennials, about a third is Gen X, and about a third are boomers? I know I mean, you've explained it to me, and I was personally surprised myself. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but not even distribution. <laughs> and then once we found that out, then we, okay, why are they buying from us? We're like, oh, this person has a health concern. This person wants to be healthy. This person wants to choose a healthy lifestyle. It's just health, 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 health. It was 90% related to health and maybe 5% related to animal welfare and 5% related to environment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. primarily buying for health. So again, here we are. We're thinking we're doing all these great things for the soil and we're doing all these great things for the animals. And look at this. It's great. And people, while that's important, they're most concerned about themselves, which, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. think about it. People are concerned about themselves and, and, and their health. So that's been what we've come to learn that, that people are looking for. You know, as health becomes such a a cornerstone of what's going on in our country and everything, it is important that uh, as people are evaluating it, they are looking for methods and avenues to improve their health. So that's great. Brooklyn, can you talk a little bit about how you communicate with your customers? You've got a couple different avenues that you use and, and what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So being the customer care associate, I guess the first thing that I kind of focus on is first time customers. So I try to make phone calls. Um, We've been a little bit busy lately, but I try to make phone calls to every um, first time customer to ask them about their experience and bring them back. Because it's great to keep getting customers, but if we don't bring them back, why do we not waste our time, but kind of why we waste our time. I also do more consistent just with our more loyal regular customers. So we have a weekly newsletter and that just gives little updates. We'll do recipes. We'll have a feature what's going on on the farm. We also have some deals that we'll mention. So uh, we like to keep the um, customers just they know what's going on in the farm and how they can benefit from it. We also connect to them through social media. You know, just about everyone has, you know, Facebook, Instagram. So it's another easy way. And sometimes we get to be a little bit more fun on there, have some really, you know, just funny videos. So that's the main avenues we connect with them with. But um, word of mouth too, um, when we're out doing home deliveries, if someone sees you are at the farmer's market, that's another great way you can connect. That's really cool. And I think that's part of the rewarding side of this process is that Monty has joked that when you drop off a load of grain, they just tell you, pull ahead. When you drop off a load of beef or other product, they're excited to see you and you get to actually engage with that with that customer. So, and I imagine that's pretty fun. Oh, I, I love doing home deliveries. I will talk the customer's ears off. I will try to hear everything they think about like our product. It, it's a fun experience. That's so. great. That's great. But it also gives you an opportunity to understand what they like. And then you can bring those ideas back to and understanding, you know, different needs that the customer might have. So there, there's something about face to face. I feel like it's easier to, they'll really tell me what they want. I, I know I've had customers say, well, do you have this or 
serve? Is there any way you could get this cut? Versus they wouldn't call me up and just say that or even email me. And it's interesting. They just really like that face-to-face contact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just getting to know them too. They're like, hi, Brooklyn. That's cool. When someone knows my name, I really like, I can connect with them more. And I appreciate it. That's great. Well, and I think too, you know, we'll hear you watch a cooking show or something and they'll say, well, ask your butcher to give you this cut or, you know, do this or that. And uh, I don't know that we have that so much around here where we're just kind of walking up to the meat counter and just picking a cut of meat. So I know we don't do specialty cuts necessarily, but we do try to listen to what consumers are asking for so that we can kind of meet those demands. Monty, I didn't know if you had any, you were smiling there. I didn't know if you were thinking of something specific that... <laughs> no, I I wasn't. I just uh, you know enjoy hearing uh, in this process we've had uh, the unintended benefits of being able to have a lot more people involved with agriculture in our community because of it. And I'm sitting back here smiling because Brooklyn uh, joined us, like she said, three months ago. And, and this given her opportunity to explore other areas in agriculture that she hadn't considered before. And as a, you know, ag student at Blackhawk East, gives her a perspective that, you know, can give her a more well-rounded perspective of the industry and what the consumer wants. And just, it's fun hearing her talk about what she's learning. And, you know, this, I, I sound like my my grandpa now but you know you youngsters are getting out there talking to people you know which is uh which is really good my grandpa didn't sound like that by the way but um good. anyway you you youngins you know but it's just fun to see that you know there's there's great hope for agriculture with you know good good people like brooklyn and also the austins and jr that at the farm here in the livestock team that uh, have an opportunity that would not have had that opportunity had we not been able to not been willing to take the risk right. to do these things. So mm-hmm. it's great. I mean, the community's benefiting. Our customers are benefiting. The soil is benefiting. It's uh, it's a win-win-win. It just requires some energy and capital to get the ball turning. Absolutely. And, and it does cause you to rethink some things that we've been doing. I mean, I grew up in, uh, in conventional agriculture. I, too, showed cattle, you know, all that type of thing. And, you know, had the rate of gain champ. You know, yeah, Brooklyn's, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Brooklyn's high-fiving me here. She knows she knows how important that is. You know, we've really got to rethink some things that we're doing. And, and it's good to ask questions to figure out why we're doing things this way. And the other thing I think that's key is that you're sharing that information. You're not holding your cards close to your vest. You're trying to help you've worked with other producers that are doing this and and really investigating and sharing what you found so that we can help move that needle. So that's exciting. One of the other things that you kind of talked about, you know, is how important it is for the quality and the consistency of the meat that you deliver to the customer. What have you learned about that? What are we doing to kind of ensure that? What does that look like when you're picking up meat? What are you finding there? So I, I guess I'll start just because I've been packing orders. I think first of all the packaging monty and i will say it time and time again we we like clear packaging that they can see the meat and it looks nice there's no air in it the labeling's on just right so i'll select that hopefully especially for first-time customers because it it is that first impression so i think they want their meat to look good but the next the next step is taste does it taste good? And what we've started to learn is we need to educate them on how to cook it simply because a lot of people don't know. I I had no idea that grass-fed cooks 30% faster versus, you know, corn grain-fed. I had had no idea. So, you know, you don't want people to burn their meat or what do you say? You don't want them to kill it again. (laughs) um, It's honestly educating them on that too because that's another way you can retain, keep your customers because they they just don't realize there's a difference. Certainly. I've got a brisket in the crock pot right now that I'm cooking low and slow uh, for that very reason because that's some of the treatment that, especially a meat like a brisket, it would require. But then, you know, you can have some fun with other cuts like the tenderloin, you know, where you can pan sear it and do some really magical stuff with that. So, but it's good for consumers to know. And that's part of it, isn't it? Is really educating them on how to prepare the meat. Um, as you said, you share some recipes and ideas for them as well. And that's really key. And those are cool opportunities that you don't get when you're just delivering stuff. All of the things that we've talked about, whether it's on the race the livestock side or on the finishing side here, selling the product. These are not simple things, but they do bring a tremendous amount of satisfaction, I think, 
to the producer, to you, to the farmers as you're doing it, because you really see that people are engaging and appreciating what you're growing and how you're doing it. It's just fun. I mean, you get to see people that are, um, we almost went on a weekly basis. We haven't this week yet gotten, gotten a compliment. Oh, we did last night. Remember the soup post? She was their soup cone. First time she'd done a soup, you know, and she'd research all this stuff and it turned out amazing. So again, at least once a week, uh, we're getting positive feedback from people about flavor and wow i never knew it could taste this good and those kind of things and yes that is fun that's fun to get told you're doing a great job because you know as farmers in general you know people think we're trying to kill them sometimes you know that's that's the feedback we get and uh, that's not a lot of fun you're trying to do the right thing and and when you're in a commodity game um you know you're just you're trying to trying to make all the the ends meet but when you're working on directly with producing food and taking it directly to the person who's going to consume it it gives you a whole new perspective on what they want and what that means to be a part of that process from start to finish well you get some ownership right it's really you know we we talk about in different arenas you know having stakeholder ownership you know that people are really engaging in the process with you. And I think people appreciate that. And I think we're seeing that more and more. And people want to know. It's not that they don't want to know where their food comes from, I don't think, any longer. I think that they we just kind of got separated somehow. And now we're coming back together and understanding that. And and sadly, in this time of this issue of COVID, it, it has brought families back to the table, which is exciting. So, you know, that's kind of a great thing. People are cooking together again. And so there's a lot of neat things that are happening because the bottom line is that a lot of family interactions and stuff happen around a, a dinner table. And so if you can be a piece of that, I think that's really a, a, a neat opportunity. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned. You know, we are notorious for saying around here that the principles of soil health, for example, are the same, but the practices vary. So would that apply in this process in the end game of producing the meat? Are the principles basically the same, but the practices would vary geographically as farms do that, Monty? Well, of course, it it would look at if you wanted to do a direct consumer business, you need to know what do you want to accomplish and there's several people that were in the in the space that that had corn fed beef that are there's several people that are selling halves or quarters and and going in on it and that's what they wanted to do but we we just really saw that there wasn't anyone with grass finished in our market and we didn't see anybody who was selling it by the cut and we didn't see anybody who was shipping direct to home and had a large selection to choose from so we, we saw that opening so we you know dove into it so you have to look at what is your market what does your consumer want and rather than you know grow cotton and expect somebody to buy it you know grow almonds and expect them to export you know where are you cultivating that relationship to the end consumption of the product because you know really as farmers we should be sick of getting anywhere from i've heard as low as eight percent to as high as 17 percent of the food dollar okay mm-hmm. well that's just sickening why are we letting all of that just go away? Why are, why are we giving 83 to 93% of the total food dollar to somebody else? Why is that okay? So, you know, I, I remember uh, Bill Hybels used to talk about at the leadership summit, he used to talk about his Popeye moment, you know, where he'd get angry enough or Popeye'd eat his spinach. I can't stand it. I can't stand it no more. <laughs> and he'd eat his spinach and he'd bulk up and then go go crazy on people you know so i think there has to be within the gut of the farmer that i can't stands it no more experience and okay i'm not going to just sit here and complain about it at the coffee shop i'm not going to sit here and borrow more money again from my banker to hope to break even again next year i'm not going to just keep doing the same crap i've done on a different day i'm going to do something different and if we know that livestock can improve the soil and affect all of our other crops that we're currently doing, and we know that there's an opportunity to give people what they want because grass finished is growing at a roughly 20% click per year. Online ordering, I think pre-pandemic, was growing at 25% per year in the protein category, and I need to reference that for sure, but it's a crazy growth rate. So you have those things going on, and livestock are better for you. Then the question is, why in the world aren't you doing this? Why are you leaving dollars on the table? You know, and why are you 
complaining about it. I mean, go for it. Go with it. And if marketing isn't your thing, fantastic. You know, there's people like us who want to help other farmers partner with them, profit share at the end. There's other groups out there where you can do that, where you get at least a little more portion of that 83%. Mm-hmm. But, you know, make a decision, try something, do something different. What have you got to lose, mm-hmm. right? You right. know what you're going to get if you keep doing what you've done, okay? Try something. And yes. uh, I think that's what, what it's about. And so with the principles in mind, you need to be thinking about those local practices that you need to be doing that's going to ultimately affect your land, but it's going to affect your livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, as you talk about that, it makes me think, well, you know, someone might push back and say, well, that's fine for a little farm. You know, you're able to sell a little bit of beef, but what, what's the scalability of this project? What does that look like? Well, I see it based on our acre volume for the farm side, okay? I really see where we could, on our farm, still grow corn, soybeans, and cattle as a rotation, and finish 450 head a year okay so i see that now once we grow beyond that we either need to pick up land base or i think what we do is grateful graze becomes we partner with a dozen other farmers and we show them here's how you do it here's how you raise livestock with no fences and no water on cropland Mm -hmm. and we will we'll teach you how to do that and then we will buy your meat products from you at a fair price and then at the end of the year we'll profit share back to everybody that participated and Mm -hmm. i think that's one way that we can do it and i think another way we can do it is ag solutions network is again we're providing the coaching and the resources to help farmers develop livestock integration on their own land within their own context but then we need to be able to preserve that value that we're creating by telling our story right and getting that regenerative raised food, the value of that back to the farmer. Yeah, I think as we talk about that, the the resounding thing that I keep hearing is that more of that dollar back to the farmer. I mean, you were in control of 100% of it, of that product, and now you're getting 7 to, what did you say, 7 to 17% maybe. I mean, you could see why that, that math doesn't work out so hot for you in the end, right? And especially when we're growing a non-commodity product by being regenerative, grass-finished, uh, pastured, you know, forested pork, all these kind of things, because that those are niche products, you know, they are higher value and to just sell them wholesale is uh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. selling non-GMO soybeans for conventional soybeans, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to do that. So. Right, right. Same, same kind of thing. Well, and, and this next question really could probably be a podcast uh, of its own, but what has this pandemic taught us about markets and how we deliver products to consumer and what have we learned about this whole system that we have in agriculture right now in in under 500 words (laughs) there you go limit him yes (laughs) i stop it brooklyn so um at first we learned it was about toilet paper (laughs) yes okay so when the toilet paper shelves went empty people got a little concerned but uh you know you can still go out to the cornfield grab a corn cob get the job done right Right. so it's not it's you're not going to die without toilet paper but then what about three weeks later Four weeks later, as the processing plants started closing down uh, voluntarily, that's another podcast, but uh, the processing plants grow, you know, and we have such just-in-time inventories that now mm-hmm. the meat shelves were empty. Mm-hmm. Now, that brings on a whole nother level of concern. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you don't eat, you don't need as much toilet paper. So there is a benefit out of this. I <laughs> suppose that, that's, that's true. That's yes. kind of how that works. But that only lasts for so long. So... You know, all of a sudden, the small processors just filled up. I mean, we had, you know, animals that were being euthanized. Uh, You couldn't get meat at the grocery store in some places. So, you know, we tripled in customers in a matter of uh, two months' time. Mm -hmm. And so that was, uh, it was an interesting how we were able to respond to that. And, you know, like Brooklyn was saying earlier, she's had a lot of time where she was wanting to do more on the, you know, newsletter and informing and marketing kind of pieces where, you know, she's been relegated to freezer duty, just like me and other people at our farm, because we got to get the orders out and take care of people first. So yeah, it's totally changed. I really think COVID has accelerated the, the rate of direct to consumer uh, food by probably about a five-year time frame. It was on track to get here, but it, it was really a poured, poured mm-hmm. gas on the fire, as I've said before. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I see, the ingenuity of 
small business owners, finding ways to make that consumer experience better. I've seen it on the restaurant side where folks have really been creative about what they're delivering. I've even seen their packaging changing, you know, where, you know, it used to be the takeout packaging, you might end up with a soggy sack and a, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, people are responding to the challenge. And I think when they do that, I think consumers respond too. And so I feel like there are a lot of opportunities here in that space. And I think one of our challenges right now in Brooklyn, you can talk about it, but we raised this this one steer that was just beautiful looking. And we packed up two of the most beautiful porterhouse steaks you've seen, two of the most beautiful tomahawks, tomahawks. you've seen. And I think he also got some bone-in ribeyes too. Oh. And we sent it to him in North Carolina. He's He's been ordering from us on a regular basis. And it just got delayed. <laughs> and it arrived because of all of the sure. going on. UPS, FedEx, everybody's overloaded. Right. It's been like Christmas season for four months. Yeah, right. It was right around riot time. I yeah, believe. right. And then we just... had multiple orders delivered, uh, delayed oh. by riots. Yes. Uh, you know, you never, you see this <laughs> notification come through by UPS and it says, your order, your shipment has been delayed due to civil unrest. Like, and, and then you're... Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so then you have all this beautiful meat that just goes to waste. So, right. you know, that's part of it is, yes, we have all this demand, but there's a reason why Amazon has semis on the road that have Amazon on the side and why they just bought 100,000 electric vehicles. It's not just to hug the earth and make it great. It's they realize that just like processing capacity is a problem for our mm-hmm. business, Mm-hmm. That final mile delivery is going to future it's be a, a problem deal. for our business because if all of the shopping goes to online compared mm-hmm. to going to the store, mm-hmm. and you have we a perishable product, we're close to the uh, ability for FedEx and UPS to deliver. Mm-hmm. So that, that's another uh, you know thing we'll have to face in our in our business in the future. Processing still a greater concern, but yeah, that final mile. So looking at delivery. Mm-hmm you know, uh, trucks and, and those kind of things. And so then that lowers our, or shrinks our geographic focus sure. uh, to specific areas, which Brooklyn's been talking about, Hey, we need to target these certain cities and look at doing delivery to those cities because mm-hmm. they're more aligned with, you know, health and those kind of things. But then we can have that home delivery experience versus, you know, the local shipping company, uh, throwing it from a, from the curb, out, <laughs> destroying Some of the packages everything. we have sent back to us. You just want to cry. <laughs> it's like, yeah. how could that happen? Did they run over uh, yeah. five times? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of lessons learned in all of this process, isn't there? But what I hear you talking about, the things that I, I hear you saying make me think about how you would be creating jobs, how you would be creating opportunities within communities, how you're affecting the health of those people in those communities. And so there's a lot of spokes in the wheel for this process. And isn't that cool that you can have that? kind of impact on not only your immediate community, but the ones that you're serving. So what is the most exciting thing that you think about this whole process, Brooklyn? I mean, as you've come in and seen this all, what's something that's gotten you excited? I know you've talked a lot about the customers. Are there other things that you think about maybe ahead that that are exciting? It's, It's just how my views have changed honestly throughout. When I first started, I was a little iffy that I had to sell grass finished beef. Um, I didn't know how I would back it up and support it, I guess. I was actually really scared to try my first roast because my dad was like, oh, it might be really dry and chewy. You might not like it. <laughs> I was terrified. So the night I was cooking, I was like, please taste good. Cause how am I, how am I going to sell this to customers? I, I try to be honest and I, I could not sell it if it was bad. And thankfully, it tasted great. So so now that I had confidence in the product and, you know, like my view was, okay, I can sell this now. But then really figuring out why do other customers, you know, I looked into the health benefits and, and then I was satisfying, it, you know, it was enough to satisfy the customer. But now my views, my views are beyond that. Now, now I have a mission and I was talking to Monty about it earlier, but now it's, it's not enough that they're just happy. I, I want to improve their health. Like I, I want to help make the world greener even. You know, the environment aspect is awesome, too. That's something you can't get with conventional farming necessarily. So it's just how my views have changed and how I see this as 
now I see it as this can be done, I guess. Before, mm-hmm. I, I just would have never thought grass finished. I mm-hmm. would have just brushed it off. So I think everything I've learned about it, but my views towards it just really excites me, surprises me. <laughs> surprises probably my family now that I'm like, <laughs> oh, you guys should try this. But um, it, it's been interesting. That's great. I have a full appreciation for that walk that you went through. Mm-hmm. I would say I would have a similar experience. So, Well, your family, Kim, now we got we can put Kim on the spot. Oh, here. boy. <laughs> He's been asking all the questions, but your family had a grain elevator. That's correct. And you were a Kent Feeds dealer. Yes. So for that was decades. And that, and that was going to a lot of cattle producers, correct? Yeah, and hawk Myself producers. included. Yeah. 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 Using yeah. It. So, I mean, that was, so look at the paradigm shift you've had to go through in this, all this understanding of, of soil health and research mm-hmm. that you've done. Mm-hmm. And it's not that any of us here uh, at, around the mics are against. Oh, heavens no. No, no heavens it, no. It, it serves a place and that's what people want. We have no, no qualms about that. Now we want to help people you know, on the Ag Solutions Network side, we want to help people grow that the most environmentally friendly, the most mm-hmm. cost efficiently, mm-hmm. the create the highest digestible product that they can use within those contexts to make them more profitable. Absolutely. Yes. So it's not an us versus them. And, no. And you know, just to, here's a question for Brooklyn, and this is this is not a setup, but what have we what have we talked about when in our marketing? When I, you know, one of those things I've, I've mentioned, if we, if we compare and contrast us to conventionally raised beef, what are, what's some of the things I've said about that when, when we're, when we're talking about those kind of things? I, I just know that talking about you with it, you've said that, you know, there is health benefits to grass finish versus just because the fat content, the mm-hmm. omega-3s. So you have health benefits. And as we mentioned before, there's less stress, obviously, you know, there you can't avoid the fact that when they're in a lot, a feed lot, there's going to be stress. I've seen it. How we work them is completely different than what Monty and the the livestock guys do. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like we've said before, it's a way of life. I love it, and you know, I'd always support my family in it. But I think grass finish does have some benefits that people just need to be more open minded. Too. But I think it's too easy for people to, we are in this world where one is bad and one is good. Right. You know, it's this, everything either is bad or good, bad or mm-hmm. good, bad or good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I was alluding to a little more with Brooklyn is like, I don't ever want us to attack or degrade a conventional farmer, exactly. which is our neighbors. You right. Know? We just want to help them learn that, hey, there is a better way to do it that's more profitable that has better soil health implications. So we don't ever want to be negative about the conventional, but we do want to point out the problem points. And, you know, that's what happened to me as a conventional farmer. I was came to light the problem points with conventional and that there is a better way. And then you can do one of two things. You can, you know, stick your fingers in your ears and go, nah, 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 nah. or you can let it bug you long enough and be like, all right, I need to do something. So, you know, that's, that's really what we want to lead people to it. We don't want to beat people into it. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, that, that's one of the things that on our marketing approach, when we're, when we're talking to customers or any of our content, it's, these are the differences and it's not that this is horrible and this is great, but these are the differences and this is why. Right. Well, and I always look at things from a very, I like to evaluate the pros and the cons and and what that looks like. And so, I mean, I was dyed in the wool, you know, grain fed, you know, livestock operation. And I would have told you that grass fed stuff is you're crazy. There's no way that tastes better than a corn fed. And so it is important to understand because once I fixed that tenderloin, I had some believers in, and, and it also reminds me that, you know, not not all livestock is raised the same. You could say that about grain fed. You could say that about uh, grass fed. Mm-hmm. And so when when we're talking about grass fed, we're talking about these guys are at like King Arthur's table. We're a literal golden corral. You're golden, yeah. yeah, right. You're right. It, but, it's about it's about energy content, right? right. I've always said with with grain finished, your margin of error is small. Because you're dealing with a consistent TMR, Mm -hmm. you know, a consistent, you know, a kernel of corn is very consistent in starch protein content. It doesn't vary wildly, but grass, your, your, your ability to mess up 
is huge mm-hmm. because there's a wild variance from good to bad. And uh, yeah, but by use, utilizing cover crops and along with perennials and having that right mix and the management it's a, just a higher level of management on a day-to-day basis to to dial those things in. But you can get that energy content. Then when you get the energy content, you can make the magic happen in your on your stove. So. Right, exactly. And and I like to do that. So I'd like to think that it's, you know, like 90% a really good product, but then 10% of me being able to it's, cook it well. It, it's, pro- <laughs> it's probably the other way And around. when I say well, I mean rare because that's how we eat our meat. So. You always got to have a little move. So. <laughs> yeah, we just like them to have a little, little kickback. Well, I love this conversation because it does speak to that shift in an ag paradigm when we're talking here with three people who are raised in conventional situations and we're just looking for opportunities to make things better. And and the thing is that if you don't know information, it's one thing if you don't know it. But once you know it, you've either got to choose to just ignore it or choose to make a change. I was in a Zoom meeting the other day with a bunch of different regenerative ag people. People, and it was so exciting as they're bouncing ideas off of each other. They're sharing information. They're saying what works. And we're not talking about just little mom and pop spots. These are people who have large operations across the country that are coming together that share their experiences. And they're excited about it, about the environmental impact that they're having in a positive way, their family being able to be involved in the operation and a legacy to leave with them. And so I think those are key things. Maybe in wrapping it up, what's in the future? Well, I think a couple things. I I do want to have a chance to answer the question that, that you asked of Brooklyn on you know, what have you, what's been the most exciting thing you've learned by, oh, yes. by going through this process? want to be able to answer that. Uh, I'm going to save that for last. But what's coming down the uh, pipe is just figuring out how do we scale? How, how do we grow? How do we, you know, we've done the best that we can to raise the livestock that we need to meet our demand. But right now, the shelves are a little empty. And keeping up with that is is a challenge. So we're trying to scale as quickly as we can, and and how do we how do we make that happen? That that's probably our our biggest challenge right now. So and we've got an okay web resource. It's not great. It's it's okay. We have a lot of opportunities to make it outstanding. And when we can make it outstanding, then that's going to cause even more of the problem with the, the yeah, freezer. keeping stuff on those. So yeah. you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, how much how much better do you make it right now? Because we don't you know <laughs> have it to sell. So we're going to need some creative discussions on on how do we make that happen. So there's there's a lot coming down the road, and I think there's also another opportunity for us to figure out that question because we've created a lot of itch, and we've got some farmers that are scratching and doing some wild things like sheep inside of almond trees, you mm-hmm. know. And and grazing some dry cows, doing the weird. So now how do we help the weird, you know, prosper? And and how can we be involved with that to provide these marketing resources to connect to the consumer with everything that we've learned through our three-year pilot program here? So how how do we do that? So that's what's on the the future. But, you know, really what have I learned out of all of this is that, huh, I can do this, you know. Never mm-hmm. knew we could do this. You know, I I grew up, we'd always sold to a grain merchandiser, okay? Never even had, I had some livestock as 4-H kid, but not that much. You know, grain is the way to go. And didn't know you could do livestock. Didn't know you could do on land where I tore out all the fences and the water in the barns when I was a kid. Didn't know that you could not sell to an elevator or to a, you know, a merchandiser. Didn't know that you could do stuff without crop insurance, you know, didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. And then right. when you try it, it's like, wow, this is fun. This is rewarding. And like you talked on your Zoom call, the reason those people are sharing and excited about it is they're having fun. Mm-hmm. And we've had farmers constantly tell us we bring the fun back to farming. So now the good news is, is you know, I, I have an idea of how many people listen to our podcast, Kim, because you share those numbers with me. And it, it's a growing audience. And we really appreciate that. Yes. But now they made the mistake of listening to this podcast. Because if they just continue to do the same thing they've always done and by listening to this podcast and aren't going to take the jump and get in and do it, shame on you. Get to work. You know, we did it. You can do it. We can help you do it because we know a lot of things that you shouldn't have done. 
you know, so we can, we can help you avoid those mistakes. Yes. We're not about just sharing all the successes. We like to share oh, the pain yeah. points too, right? Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm great at, uh, great at making mistakes and, and we, I love to make them because then you learn from them. How else do you learn? And, but I think that's the opportunity here is that it can be done. And you can become a fifth principal farmer and you can bring livestock back to the land and you can connect with families to give the food that they want when they want it and how they want it. And it's, it's time to start doing that to diversify your business, to improve your local community, improve your family and your, and the future of your family and your livelihood. And we're here to help do that. And I hope people will, will seriously take a step and just do something. Mm -hmm. Don't be a passive listener, be an active doer. You bet. Well, I think that's a great summary. Brooklyn, is there anything we missed that you'd love to share? He summed it up pretty much. I just, I mean, I commend Monty for, you know, really stepping out of his comfort zone and, you know, him doing that, you know, it, it encourages others to do the same. Yeah, I think that's exciting. And, and I love to see just within this small operation, just the number of folks that are involved in producing this meat, I mean, and getting families engaged in it. So I think that's really a fun piece too. Well, thank Thank you both. I made Monty sit on the other side so I could make him be an interviewee. And She's been kicking that. me the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> we do appreciate you listening. We'll have some links, so you'll have to check out the site. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Grateful Grace does also offer this amazing thing called Concert with the Cows. Brooklyn, I don't want to forget to ask about that. Yes, so Concert with the Cows will be on August 14th right on the ranch. And basically, you come, listen to music, um, enjoy it. We might be having tacos. We don't we don't know yet. The, the menu's a surprise. But you get to come, and the best part is you get to listen to music while you watch the cows graze and the sunset. So it's a really fun event. I think it's open to camping afterwards. Oh, um, wow. Yes, camping, and you get a bring your own beverage, bring a chair, get comfy. So great, great event for people of all ages. Nice. We nice. did it last year. People really enjoyed it. We had a beautiful sunset and then watching the calves run around on the hill behind the, behind the band is, is a, is a load of fun. So yeah, there's just something peaceful about grazing cattle out on a pasture. If you've grown up getting to see that, you have a great appreciation for it. So in this time when we're trying to slow down a little bit, that's a neat way to do it. Glad you have that opportunity and we'll have links for that in the podcast. Thanks for joining us today, all of you, and we appreciate it. And if we've spurred you on to want to take some action, there's links in there for you to contact us. So thanks again. 